0: Welcome back to another episode of the Just Basketball Show. I am Brendan Clean. That is Chris Manning. We're back for another week. The basketball has been amazing. Wherever you're finding us, please hit follow or subscribe. We're on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Give us five stars wherever you're listening. If you're on YouTube, hit that bell. Drop a comment with your thoughts on the league right now. Social media, follow TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you are, we are. Get content there as well as this basketball season continues. We're talking breakout players of the NBA season today. The guys that took a big step forward. Really, uh, a lot of them being on the most improved player list in terms of that award but uh, mostly just guys who have upped their stock and, and really surprised us, Chris. So we'll get into, honestly, five or six different guys. We'll also go through our, uh, bre- uh, would, it, would it be breakdown players, break-in players? I'm not sure. Uh, we'll, we'll get some some players who have done the opposite, Chris, as well here. But some big games across the first weekend post-All-Star break, starting with one that you were at, which was Cavs Nuggets. Uh, Nikola Jokic... Played very well. The Cavs um, gave it a, a pretty in- interesting effort, and Evan Mobley was amazing. What did you see getting to see that one up close uh, and live?
1: Yeah, I, I th- it, it's there's a couple of things. I think the Mobley thing is the fun places are just because he is having a moment right now. He is, I think, really having an offensive growth spurt, and there's there's clearly some stuff, I think, to, to watch and how that grows going forward. You know, his handle is still very, very loose, and that's costing him... You know, I think at least a bucket or two a night with how loose that handle is still at the moment. That That's a big, big thing. But he was fearless of going at Nikola Jokic. Not that Jokic is like Embiid or anything like that, but at least defensively. Uh, not to get Nuggets sure. fans mad at me, but like Mobley did not care. He went at him. He was assertive. You are seeing a very, very aggressive offensive Evan Mobley, and that, that's a that's a leap. That is... The leap that is happening with him right now, you know, in going into the Ulster break over the last like month pre Ulster break, he's up to like almost 20 points a game on improved efficiency and, and all of this stuff. And he's, I think, largely continue that coming out of the break. He's been great. And I, and I think he's kind of getting to that spot where, like, I think you might be able to put him ahead of Jared Allen. The other side of it, Brendan, that I think that's a story worth telling about the Cavs right now is just. Their defense has, which is their hallmark, which is their bread and butter, has been bad the first three games out of the All Star break, or excuse me, the, the first two games out of the break in in Philly before the break. Their defense is like akin to you know like worse than the the tanking Spurs. Like it, it has been really bad. The effort isn't there. The edge isn't there. I don't know. I, you know they against Denver they left a lot of shooters in the back end just kind of open. They repeated some of those stakes the next night against Atlanta and just they don't feel as locked in on that end. And like right now. I feel like they're the fourth of those top four East teams. Standings reflect this as well. I think they're the fourth team there right now. That feels where we're at with them. They have a really easy schedule the rest of the way. They Before we record this, they play uh, Toronto later that day. So we're not going to obviously react to that, but that's a team that they have not their own three against this year. It's been a weird matchup for them, but this feels like a game where you got to kind of put out some of these fires right now and prevent yourself from from sliding away from the rest of that, that top four at the moment. So that, that game is really a tale of two things. It is Evan Mobley, but it is also the Cavs are, are in a funk right now defensively.
0: Yeah, and you didn't get, you know, the efficiency you probably would have needed from Garland and Mitchell to beat a team like Denver. It was pretty uh, open and and balanced for the Nuggets, though. 24 from Jokic. He had a, a monster triple-double with 18 and 13 as well. Seven turnovers, which was interesting. But like you mentioned, Michael Porter Jr., just uh, one of the the biggest heat check games, I think, of the season from anybody, but especially from him where he can he can sometimes be uh, a little hot and cold that way. You don't often see him get that involved in the offense, but he was feeling it. They were finding him. The, the Cavs were doubling Jokic in the post. And then it almost felt like a thing, Chris, where, yes, you mentioned they were losing him. But in some cases, it was almost like a reminder that Michael Porter Jr. is 6'10". And it's just very mm-hmm. hard to contest his shot, you know. Covering back out to a corner, it's like, yeah, he's really open because Jokic gets so much attention, but he's also just impossible to, you're not blocking his shot, you're not getting in his line of sight. You know, Isaac Okoro is only going to do so much, or, you know, Chetty Osman, Karis Levert those guys are only really going to be able to get in his way so much. So I thought that was pretty interesting. From a thing we've been uh, tracking on this show standpoint, one of the first games we broke down on this show was that, that Sixers Nuggets game on, uh, a big Saturday game with the two MVP candidates and the way that mm-hmm. PJ Tucker being able to guard Jokic was reminiscent of, of a, a great game plan to defend Jokic when you can have somebody body him up. I think that's what contributes to a lot of his high turnover games is just when he's not able to get to his spots. We think of him as a guy who's pass first and he is. But he wants to kind of work the defense in the post before he kicks it back out. If he's not able to do that, if he's not able to warp the defense the way he wants, you can get him into some high turnover games. And I think the Cavs, I mean, they're an obvious one. It's not exactly a surprise. They're, you know, the poster child team for playing two bigs right now. But the Nuggets half court points per play in that game was just 90.5 uh, offensive rating. So it was really transition where they killed the... Yep where they killed the Cavs. And it's interesting. I think it was, it did teach us a little bit about both teams, but I think it probably, I don't know if I'm the Cavs, I I, I maybe come out of that one feeling better than, well, definitely better than the Nuggets because the Nuggets went in expecting to win. And that game was probably harder than they thought. And, And I think you take the victory of, Hey, we played the best team in the NBA almost to a draw.
1: The transition stuff is really where the defense has, I think, broken down the last couple games for Cleveland too. Like they have, just for whatever reason, not been stopping the ball. They have been getting beat in an effort thing, and that's like very uncharacteristic for them. And against a team like Denver, and against any team, I think they will see, you know, maybe in the playoffs. Like that's just like yes, the pace slows down all of that, but like those are little things you have to try to control as best you can. And like that, they they didn't do that against Denver. They didn't do that against Philly. They definitely yeah. did not do it against Atlanta who just cook them off of, of live rebounds. And look, maybe sure. this is something with this team growing up. Maybe this is part of like a, a, a still very young group, like kind of learning how to do all of this stuff. But if you're a team that like has the metrics they do and stuff, I just, I, I, th- and I think has won as many games as they've had and has as good of players as they do. Like, I think you got to expect a little bit better. It, it's, I yeah. we, we, we should, I, I think, Brennan, when we get to our show later in the week, uh, we should quickly hit on, you know, what happens to Cleveland against Toronto just because like they they play Boston on Wednesday and, you know, they get Detroit next week. But they had this is the toughest stretch of their season down the stretch is they get they're coming off this Denver game, Atlanta, and then Toronto, who's not bad, but it's played them tough. Then they get Boston in Boston on Wednesday with a couple days off, which maybe helps them. Then they get the Pistons who are bad and then they get the Celtics again, and they get Miami twice. Like This is a very, very pivotal stretch for them. Then yeah. they, 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 let's see how they navigate it.
0: Absolutely. Another crazy one was Clippers-Kings on Friday night, Chris. 176-175. Um, to 175, I feel like the final score is almost uh, a factoid or a crazy thing about this game in and of itself. It was the second-highest-scoring game in NBA history. It was... Uh, a complete, like I think each team scored 40 in the first quarter. You knew it was going to be a blowout or a a shootout from the jump. Kawhi Leonard barely missed any shots. Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox were incredible. Um, People will just be shocked at the box score at the final score, but this was actually a very fun game. This was Despite the defensive stuff, a pretty well played game, all things considered. This wasn't just awful defense like two tanking teams will sometimes have these types of games. This was, this was well played. It was just like a battle of two, uh, like, you know, Godzilla versus Kong type of thing here with the offenses.
1: Yeah, look, I, th- I think there's, you should feel, both teams should feel good about that. You know, Darren Fox had 42 and 12, Malik Monk had 45 and six coming off the bench. Like, they really navigated Damana Sabonis being in foul trouble which uh, is a really big deal. ESPN had this factoid that Fox and Monk are the first teammates to each score, have 40 and 40 points and five or more assists in the same game. Since just since Paul, Russell Westbrook and Paul George did it in 2019 when they were with the Thunder, which is like good, good on them. Kawhi in this game. Awesome. Dominant on both ends of the floor. Like I'm again 46
0: minutes. That's impressive. Most. (laughs) I didn't know
1: he could do that anymore. Did not know he could most he's ever played in a regular season game. Stat line is a 44, 16 to 22 shooting, four boards forces, three steals, two blocks. Yeah. This 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 is the Kawhi that could like take over the playoffs and like make the Clippers like a real contender. Yeah. I we need to just see it happen before I think we can be like, oh, you have this Kawhi, but all all the, the stuff with Kawhi of late is I think really, really encouraging if you want to believe that story. And this this was yeah. Russ's debut too. And and then the Paul George quotes were like very Pro Russ, like very just like look, like I I'm glad we have him. We need a point guard and we need someone that you saw tonight. Like they he's I mean, and this isn't a surprise. he was very publicly advocating for Russ, but you know, 17 points for yeah. Russ, fourteen assists, seven turnovers, uh played thirty-nine minutes, uh fouled down the second overtime, but you know, a very Russ game in a lot of ways. But like it you know, it, it seems yeah. like the vibes coming out of the first game for him are at least good, which is you you would kinda hope for considering they wanted them there so bad.
0: I think even the turnovers were uh, a few of them were just time timing and, and chemistry stuff. Um, Just, you know, like kick out to somebody, drop pass to somebody on the pick and roll, all that type of stuff didn't really click, but that's fine. I think a couple more things. So you mentioned the fouls on Sabonis. Yeah. They three and four came in like 30 seconds in the second quarter. And, for whatever reason, uh, they didn't challenge them because they were the second quarter, but they were both ticky-tack fouls, so very good on him to be able to, to weather that storm. He does eventually foul out, but still gets 31 minutes. And then on the Clippers' side, I think defensively, uh, I did watch, I went back and got through the first half of this game, and their defense was suspect, which you would, I guess, expect because of Zubots missed this game. Plumlee started, and they didn't really have a backup center. They were doing the you know Batum or Marcus Morris thing as their backup five. Tyloo surprisingly played a pretty trimmed down rotation in this game. No Robert Covington again, for whatever reason. And then the part that does worry me is the perimeter defense. Like I understand again, this what I just said it, it was a well-played game. It was, it was a high degree of shot making. It was, it was well executed offense on the part of guys like Fox and monk. But also there is a part of me that's like down the stretch of this game. You would like to see Paul George and Kawhi Leonard be able to do something to slow those guys down. I mean, in theory, that's kind of what they should do in a playoff type of matchup. Maybe they're just saving it. We're seeing those guys be great offensively, finally, uh, over cons- consecutive games. But we'll have to see if if that defensive aspect comes around because it's going to need to. Um, let's move on to Boston-Philadelphia, Chris, which was the big one on Saturday night, the ABC game. And bead uh, another game we could have talked about, frankly, was that Sixers-Grizzlies game. And really, my takeaway from this one is, um, no, I think the the stuff with Embiid's energy and stamina and and all that stuff was maybe overblown a bit in previous years, but I do think it was an issue. And so I think to watch him play 40 minutes, he did the same uh, a similar thing against Memphis the other night, and be able to be at his absolute best late in these games, multiple late blocks in both games. Uh, a nice away jumper, one that he made and then he actually ended up missing another one, although I think it was kind of poor design to give him. He was trying to make a shot over two guys late in that one and, and just missed it. But 41 total points, 12 rebounds, five assists, three blocks. I, I don't even necessarily want to make it an MVP thing, Chris, but this guy is able to be at his absolute best late in games. and And it's really, really crazy and incredible to watch.
1: Yeah, I think a couple things on that. Number one, the foul drawing stuff for him its like he like it is not. It is like the opposite of the grift that you see from some wings. It is just like he puts these guys in, in a torture chamber and is able to sucker them into stuff like like I was like. So like, late in this game, Jalen Brown is defending him in the post. They get that switch. Jalen Brown's a very good defender, very smart. And it'd be just like just kind of like quick little pump, really exaggerated fake. And Jalen Brown bites on it and it's a foul. And it's yeah. like I. I there's very few guys in the league that I don't think are going to panic when when they're on a on a switch against Embiid in the post. And like in, in this game if you just look at the, the the kind of the overall flow of it it's like you got some stuff from Harden late but it was Embiid that had 41 Harden was 5 of 16 from the field, 2 of 8 from 3. Tyrese Maxey is 4 of 10, 0 of 2 from 3, yep. 8 points. You know, Tobias Harris had 19. Like he was very efficient, but like it's Tobias Harris. Like you're not, you need and it was a lot Harden. in the
0: first half for him. Yeah.
1: Uh huh. And you need more from Harden. You need more from Maxi. And like that's where like Boston is able to, I think, kind of come back in this one. Like Tatum didn't even play a good game. He had 18 points. Okay, eight seven to 17 it was like one to six from three before he hits his last two, I believe. The big one. <laughs> yeah. And including the big one. You know, Jalen Brown is 26, 10 to 21. A lot of damage inside the arc from from Jalen Brown in that one. These are two really, really good teams. I think Philly should probably feel like a little bit frustrated that like they get this Embiid performance and they just didn't get enough from these other guys to win a game at home and and continue kind of pushing up towards the top. You know the the Milwaukees and the Boston's of of the East. But like the MVP thing, let's let's in on that because I feel like as much as Jokic is deserving and like he seems like he's going to win it this year. It is gonna feel like I think crazy in retrospect that we've gone through this run of Embiid the last couple of seasons, and like he's not, he might not have an MVP. That's gonna feel just feel kind of crazy to me. I think in retrospect, and that's not to say like Yokoji isn't deserving because he is, but Embiid is also just like incredibly deserving, and it's just like, yeah, how do how did he not get one?
0: Yeah, no, I don't think you're wrong. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not fully sold that it's a done deal like I, I don't it, it's, it's not gonna be hard not to go through game by game but you just look and on the same night I admittedly in a loss so there's only so much credit you're really going to give to somebody with 41 12 and 5 if, if it doesn't end up with a win but but it's like that but it's like that, night, that stat line is like
1: why that game was competitive because his other like yes. guys that are supposed to be a part of his big three just like didn't help him in the way that like absolutely like he didn't and like he's the reason they're in that game it is that is Joel Embiid made that game competitive And Jokic had 15,
0: 13, and three in a loss and was a minus 20 in that loss to Memphis on Saturday night. So I do think it's inevitably going to be a lot of box score watching, a lot of uh, small sample analysis. It's just, it's so tight that it's going to have to be. And that's maybe not fair to those guys, but uh, it's going to be fun for all of us to kind of sit back and watch how each player seizes the moment. And I do think Embiid probably wants it more. You know, like Denver is... Yeah, I think he definitely wants it more. I don't think Jokic even cared that he won the second one. I think once he won one and felt like he proved something, I I think he could go his whole career and not win another one and he'd be fine. They have the one seed basically locked up. So I'd imagine the Sixers will have a lot more games like this where they're willing to play and beat 40 minutes and run things through him and try to win each and every single game that they can. Um, But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with uh not just these two, but I think Giannis and, and Tatum and, and Luca probably as well to just see how it all shakes out. But let's get to our main event here, Chris. The breakout players of the season. Again, um, these are sort of just the guys on the most improved players list. Uh that 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 race is surprisingly tight this season. Usually it's kind of a throwaway award. I'm actually pretty intrigued. The odds over at bet, bet MGM right now, Larry Markinen who we uh maybe we could start with is minus 135 shy Gilgeous-Alexander plus 175 and then Brunson plus 350. I didn't even put Brunson in here and I can tell you why later but um and then Halliburton and Claxton very very long shot guys. Um do you want to start with Larry Markkinen since he's at the top there? Yeah, and
1: Markkinen okay. feels like he's probably going to win it. He is one of the real I think kind of ascendant players this year obviously. Like it is like I, like, I saw him in, in person last year and, like, in the role he was. And, like, I, if you told me this is the kind of year he was going to have in, in Utah, I would have asked you, like, where you found, like, drugs in the state of Utah. You know? Like, he's, <laughs> Brendan, he's fifth in the NBA in expected wins at it. Okay? Like, to just, like, catch all stat. Only Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, and, and SGA are higher than him. That's cr- that, That's crazy. Like the season he's having, the amount of points he's scoring, as efficient as he's been, like they, the Jazz got like an absolute coup out of him. And like, I, I, there's probably a story to be written if it hasn't already, and maybe we've missed it. Someone can, can tweet us and let us know. But like, like the player development stuff, you know, bringing over Will Hardy from Boston, like in them really kind of transitioning into that kind of era post Quinn Center, I wonder if that is part of what has unlocked this. Like, what has unlocked this, I think, is. Said a question because he was really good in Cleveland. I think really fit into his role, did a lot of stuff really well. This is just like another another level of of play.
0: It is. I would recommend people go uh, read the Lowry Markkinen feature that Jake Fisher did over at Yahoo. Like right away, first thing in the in the season. I wasn't convinced. I'm I'm kind of surprised that he got that that treatment um, so so quickly in the year because he. I, I wasn't convinced in October, I will say, that this was real, but it has proven to, to very much be real. And a lot of it that he pointed to, Chris, was getting to play in Eurobasket and, and getting to play a more featured role for that Finland team. And obviously, there's not a lot of other Finnish superstar basketball players, so you can imagine he was very heavily the guy and he knew coming into Utah that he was going to have more of a chance to be featured again. He kind of was early in his Chicago time, but he was a very young player. He's obviously seen all sorts of things. It's crazy to look at his positional stuff over the years. His, I think his last season in Chicago or, or one of the last seasons in Chicago, he played the majority of his minutes at center. Now he has played two consecutive seasons with the majority of his minutes at the three, um just in terms of adjusting season to season I'm not sure anybody's had a crazier time with him but you and I both in our notes have the same kind of point which is actually it seems like that has benefited him in a way Mm -hmm. and he's really to me this year kind of combining what he figured out playing more of a big man role with the obvious elite amazing off-ball scoring ability that he's developed like he he is going to be somebody he's fourth in the nba and off-screen points per game behind steph clay and boyan bogdanovich but then you couple that chris with he's getting fouled on almost five percent more more than five percent more of his uh, shot attempts this season from last year and his free throw rates up 12 percentage points so He's kind of bringing the best of both worlds together where he he's going to be able to make those shots. He's going to be able to come off the screen and nail nail a shot, cut, do all those things. But then he's going to bring uh, that ability when he needs to to iso to to even will roll to the basket sometimes and get the ball. They do still play him at center occasionally and he's not not afraid to go do that. He'll attack a closeout and get all the way to the paint and draw contact. It's just really cool. Like the actually one of the other guys we're going to talk about is SGA. Those two had an insane battle the other night, an overtime battle. I think the first night back from uh, the all-star break and they were both amazing, but, but marken and it was just like a complete show of all the stuff he can do. And if people haven't checked him out, they absolutely should because he's been very good.
1: Yeah. And I'm curious to see just kind of where this, this goes for Utah, just because like, I think the playmaking that you would kind of maybe need him to be like a one, a 1A, like title, like contending team option just isn't there. It has never really been there. But like you, they have all this huge cache of picks. They have assets out, out, out everywhere. Like every single like office yeah. in the Jazz building. Like there's probably another first round picker or, or something in there for them to to work with. They can go find stuff to kind of complement what marketing is and, and find the right pieces for him. because um, he's him and Kessler, and like I think Sexton's a good player. Like they have like it seems like they're probably going to resign Jordan Clarkson. Okay. Like they have some really interesting pieces to work with there, and if they find the real like creator type that can kind of like help accentuate all of this stuff, they're going to be like in a in a really really good place. Um, do you want to move on to? Yeah, you, yeah let me of, ask you yeah. this.
0: Um, it sounds like you think that I, my, one of my questions with him is: Do they keep him through the rebuild? But. I kind of think we both think that they will. I think him and Kessler long-term as a four five is pretty solid. I think if I'm them, I, I, I focus on getting some better wing defense, you know, just like three and D guys on the wing. They don't really have any of those right now. Maybe a, a Baji becomes that he's been playing pretty well for them. Although he couldn't guard Shea, which is fine. No one can, but, then I think somebody like Scoot Henderson, like I get really excited thinking about that fit. Mm-hmm. Just a, a a bullet point guard who can create for, for teammates, get the ball moving, get, get, get going in transition. Um, I don't know if they are going to trade up to two this year and really speed things along like that. They have a lot of picks, as you said, to play the long game. But what do you think of that? Is that the type of player you think you would try to partner him with?
1: Yeah, or like I, you know, like if they could find if they don't get like that high of a pick, it's like maybe someone like Franz, I think, could make a lot of like that type of like mold of a wing. that You can if you can find that kind of player. Of it like Fred VanVleet would kind of be like a fun point guard option. You know, that would yeah. be kind of interesting. So, I, I think there's a lot of ways they could go. Some of it will depend on draft luck, but yeah, they're in, they're in a in a really really good place. Like they they are they are really well positioned with marketing with the leap he's had and all of this stuff to really pivot to whatever is going to come next. And they it, it, they can take their time with it. You know, he's under contract for a couple more years. It's a pretty, very affordable deal. They don't have to rush it, but they're, they're, they're in a really, really good spot. Um, who do you want to Brendan? Who do you want to go to next? Let's go to Shay. We've, we've mentioned him a few
0: times now, so we might as well dive in on him. Um, this guy's a killer man. Uh, just for the the stats for people who may not have really paid attention outside of the fact that he's averaging 31 points per game, which in and of itself uh, tells you a lot, but he leads the league in free throws made, leads the league in drives per game. No one else is within three drives per game of him, which is John ja Morant. So you think of Ja as being crazy. He's better, or, or does it more often, let me say. He rarely ever, I think he has a turnover percentage below 10%, and all of that stuff allows him to just completely control the pace of these games. Like he's in the Luca James Harden mold in, in just the control that he has over the half court, because he can do so many different things and he, you never really know what he's going to do. He's change of direction. Change of pace is so strong and solid, but he never takes threes, which is like the craziest part of all of this in the modern NBA to do all of that, be so good and basically never take a three pointer so you kind of do know what's coming in a way which is that he's not going to take that shot and yet he still gets to his spot still gets to the line still scores and is basically unstoppable when he's driving to the basket
1: he is just like flat out like one of the league's like bright young superstars like i think this is a guy that can be like the best player on, on a thunder team that like competes for a title the the size he has at six six is like really a, such an advantage to be a creator with that guard skills and, and the shot making skill and the footwork is just is such an advantage. Like there there and he's and he is like and as you hit on some of the the free throw stuff. Like he is something of a throwback. He is something of a of a guy who's like I'm not gonna take a bunch of pull up threes. Like he he could have done the thing where it's like okay I'm gonna like work on my step back three and I'm gonna launch those and like that's gonna be a big part of my game. He's, like, on the opposite way. He's, like, I have the size advantage and and skill and, like, a great feel. Like, the other way is going to be much... Like, him and his, you know, his training, like, the off-season training stuff and and I'm sure the Thunder, like, have all been, like, this is, like, the way you go. This is, like, the way forward. And it unlocks so much. And, it, and it like, as much as he is not kind of racking up, like, really, really high assist rates or kind of really he's never had, like, the super high assist usage ratio and like so maybe he's not this like kind of creator we think of that is like fully empowering everybody else around him like maybe that's just not what his game is he's still incredibly effective still very very good and it kind of but, but like what he is it gives you flexibility to go find that other stuff i think right like mm-hmm. that's why giddy is such like an interesting piece for them because like when giddy really hit it's just like it really works, but like, and it maybe hasn't always hit, but like, that's the kind of thing yeah. where you can, you can I look don't know. at That
0: it. was one of the questions that I had actually for you or just for us to talk about with Shay is, are you sold on, on that long term? Cause I, I, I watched them and I just, I don't have any idea what they think Giddy will be. Because they've now taken the ball out, it feels like he has the ball less than he did last year. At
1: least as I watched them lately. But like, is that a Shea thing? That is, it's just kind of happened, and like,
0: yeah, yeah, it may not be like they're trying to to de-emphasize that. You got to let the players play, and they're winning now, so it's harder to control what's happening when you're actually trying to win. You got to do the best thing, not the developmental thing. But a Josh Giddy without the ball in his hands who is still not very much of a stopper defensively and who doesn't really make shots from anywhere. I, I'm not trying to hold him to his first two seasons and say he can't get better. I think if he gets better as a finisher and floater guy and defensively, there he will be an NBA player. But I don't know if that's a player who is like the best partner for Giddy. So I wouldn't be surprised maybe if we start to hear them shopping on him because that's the other thing of this shea moment chris the the fact that he's accelerating their timeline so much like he told us he would i want to keep reminding people of that he told us that he would start winning this season and we all laughed here he is doing it um is that they might have to kind of start to think about piling up these assets and and making a trade sooner than we expected And, and i guess to me maybe giddy is that guy because i don't love that pairing whatsoever.
1: I, I think it's an open question. I think, like, they will have a bunch of picks, and, and they can go target someone via a trade if they, if they want to. I think Chet is such an interesting kind of piece in this yeah. as well. Like, we haven't seen him play, obviously, and, and that puts a big kind of hamper in all of this. But, like, I I think, like, if there there's ways they could go find, you know, another creator, a guy who's going to, like, like maybe like a like a like a, a young like a whatever like Mike Conley the the younger version of Mike Conley is in the NBA. Like that would be like a really great fit. It's like okay, defender can make some shots off ball, just kind of keeps everything, helps everything, keep everything moving. Like you don't need to go get like what like they don't need this whole entire like lead kind of dynamic point guard to play with Shea, cause Shea's gonna do a lot of that, and then I think he'll get maybe more assists as they kind of find different like as the talent level improves it wouldn't surprise me if like they get better players and like he yeah. of his assist totals kind of rack up and the in the kind of the assist usage ratio gets to uh, it gets to a different level that wouldn't surprise me just based on the talent but like i i think they have such an they when as they build and we had them on our warner was interesting teams list like this team's really really interesting shea unlocks so much for them long-term it sets them up long-term in, in a way that is like such a big advantage for them as they kind of like have all these other things to work with. Like Shea is such a great centerpiece to just have right now as they kind of figure out what all these other guys are.
0: Yeah. I think I would be less interested in like another guard and more of like a, a better shooting three and D wing would probably be where I go. Um, You know, like it, not to nobody's like this, but I don't know somebody like, what Tatum was early in his career. I I think Tatum surpassed any of our wildest dreams. Maybe like what Jalen Brown sort of is now, you know, somebody like that I think would, would kind of be the missing piece. But if I told you the, the starting lineup next year is Shea, Dort, Jalen Williams, um, J-Dub, the one without the Y, Pokushevsky, which could be anybody. We don't know. Poku played really well before he got hurt and Chet, Who's going to be a perfect pick and pop big for for Shea? I, I have no concerns about the fit there. Although defensively, he'll have to improve and add strength and all that stuff. What seed is that in the West next year? Uh, from what we've seen from Shea this year, and and what we know those guys can be around him. Maybe are they in the? Are they out of the play in? Because I kind of think that they're they're battling for you know four, five, six range next year.
1: I yeah, I think five, six, seven feels about right. Because you which is a lot because they're at 11
0: right now that would be a huge jump you know we're talking about a bonafide playoff team at that point
1: right and you're also just thinking about like you really need chet to kind of hit the ground running and like that's i I don't know if you can like absolutely bank on that
0: yep that's that's kind of the the key piece i think that they just i don't know i I do think that at a certain point when they really try to start winning they're going to need more size i understand playing small and switching is is going to be how they build their team i'm not taking a problem with that it's more so just you still need the pieces to make that work and the best teams that have played that way tend to have more overall size I think Chet will be part of that solution but I I, I would like for them to just get one more taller wing uh, and that could kind of be that that last missing piece let's move on to Tyrese Halliburton Chris I'll let you go off first here. Nineteen point nine points, ten point one assists per game. The Pacers are twenty five and twenty five with him in the lineup, which I think is a key stack because they've fallen off in their record. But he is—he missed a lot of the time when they sure. dipped in the standings. They're basically five hundred with him. But what have you liked about his play, and, and what stands out to you about him long term?
1: So I, I think the feel is like just incredible. You know, he's he is just kind of knows exactly what to do. Is always making the right passes, like. I, I, he's one of those guys that you watch him play, and you see how he plays at the tempo they play at, and it's like I don't. I think every decision he's going to make, you kind of trust it. it's just it's going to be the right one. It is incredibly impressive and telling to me that Rick Carlisle, one of the most like historically grumpy and and very hard on point guard coaches that we have seen in the last like twenty years in the league, is trusting him and, and empowers him and like is centering him in everything he's doing in Indiana, right? Like. Some of that I'm sure is like maybe front office stuff and whatever, but like it is like Rick Carlisle is not the kind of coach that's gonna like get this guy that traded for, and if he doesn't like him, he's he's gonna run away from him. Like he has embraced him, Um, and 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 like look at his look at his usage rate. Like it is one of the highest usage rates in the league. It is incredibly impressive how much times he has the ball in his hands, and he's got an assist usage ratio that is like in the hundredth percentile, like cleaning the glass. Like he has he has like he's at the upper 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 hey, I'm wrecking a ton of assists on this really high usage. And, and like that tells you how much he has the ball and that to how much he is centered on everything they do. He's another guy that it's like he gives you flexibility to think in how they can build going forward and what kind of pieces they get, particularly if they aren't going to do the full kind of teardown thing. Like maybe they get some lottery luck and then unlock something kind of bigger here. But like this is this is a guy that was like a deserving all star. Like you know, we talked about this when we did the lessons from the year thing. It's like, I'm sure the Kings, I'm sure are like very, the like Darren Fox has been awesome. They, they've really benefited from having some bonus, but it's like, like I, there's like no question in my mind. I would rather have Hal Burton than Fox the next, like f- the next five to seven years. Right. Like it is not even, yeah. it's not really a question. If Hal Burton is that good and where he goes and like what he's going to do in Indiana is, is really, really, really impressive. Like that central division. Yeah is loaded with really young superstar creative types. And it's going to be fun to watch them all kind of compete against each other for a long time.
0: So that's an interesting question. I think Fox, I think more highly of Fox than that. I don't think it's quite as obvious. And and here's why I, I so to, to do the positive stuff on Halliburton first, I think he is, so he's a more efficient pick and roll ball handler than just about any of these young guards we're talking about. Ja, Trey, Ball, Brunson, Garland. He's more efficient in terms of points per possession than any of them. He is shooting 40% on 5.4 pull-up threes per game. The craziest thing to me, though, is he has the second most touches in the NBA per game. 94.4, behind only Nikola Jokic, all right? But his average seconds per touch, which is also tracked on on nbastats.com, is like 52nd in the NBA. 4.7 seconds per touch which is around the, the same as like role players uh tj mcconnell fred van vliet uh you know terry rogier obviously steph because he's a alien but that's crazy i think that is also a little bit of my question with him is does he have that scoring gear to him. Do we see his game continue to develop or is it just going to be that his mentality is this way? Most of his points are going to come sort of in transition off of these pull-up threes, maybe some, you know, second side broken play, I'm going to, you know, get downhill type of stuff which he can finish like it's not it's not terrible there. But if if this is sort of the the style, not to say he can't get better, but if this is the style he's always going to play, he's not going to be your best player. Uh, in terms of like your most productive player, your most like impactful, the guy who goes and gets you what you need in a big playoff game type of player, you know, Steve Nash, Chris Paul, they needed that Devin Booker, they needed that Amari Stoudemire, whatever, right? So that's kind of my question. It's it's not even a knock necessarily. It comes off as negative, but it's just more of a. Fascination Because again, we don't see a lot of players like this these days, especially at the guard spots. And I just want to know sort of what his evolution is. Does he get more productive as a scorer or does he just settle into this routine
1: and then Indiana finds him that sort of killer
0: scorer to pair with?
1: What they're able to do in the draft and and what else they are able to do going forward, I think probably answers that question to some degree. If Indiana is going to take a step forward, right? Like if they can, you know, if they get like, like, so like they would be such an interesting team in the draft because like let's let's I'm pulling up Tankathon right now, so they have the six best odds, six best odds right now. they're a little behind Orlando and like i I wouldn't surprise me if they you know finish fifth if you like they jump up to like two is like you know do they the, the scoot thing could could be really interesting if you wanted to go that route like they would be such like a a fascinating like Wemby team um there are other obviously other guys in this draft that kind of could fit some of this kind of this mold, but it, like maybe it depends on like what they get. It, it maybe it depends on like what kind of prospects they end up getting or what kind of free agents they're able to bring in and and like how they decide to support him in that way. Like maybe they answer that question for him in in some way, right? Like maybe it is not a a Halliburton thing or or whatever. Maybe or or maybe they tell us what they think about him or what he kind of feels he is based on the kind of guys they go out yeah. and get.
0: I could see them. I I I can see why they've been linked to John Collins. I like that. Next to Miles Turner, who's developed some really good chemistry with Halliburton, Um, just more size for them. And then also, you know, that that extra pick and roll partner who can be just as versatile as Collins or as Turner. Right. They can both pick and pop or pick and roll. I like that fit. I don't know if you're talking about what you're putting your ceiling as if if you're starting to fill up your cap sheet with Halliburton on a max when he gets up again uh, for a new contract. And then Collins and Turner both being you know, 20 plus million dollar players. I don't know if I get it from that standpoint, but stylistically, I like that. I, would, I wouldn't I would be surprised if they targeted another player like that. But yeah, I think the only real bummer with me is like Indiana, to your point about the draft, I think that they have kind of shown us that they are probably going to go as far from a championship upside standpoint, as the draft allows them to go, they're not mm-hmm. going to be the team that takes the big swing and spends a bunch of money, and gives up a bunch of future stuff to well, go get a player. Well,
1: and they, and they might not be able to like in free agency if those guys are available. They're probably not like they're they're one of those teams like Utah. I think is in the same boat. I would suspect the Thunder are in the same boat. Like these yeah. are teams that like needed to need to nail trades and the draft. Those are like the same thing. Like Cleveland, Cleveland is like largely the same thing. Is like as a Midwest example of a team that has, like, took a step back. They hit on Garland. They hit on and flipped him for Mitchell. They hit on Mobley. They got lottery luck with Mobley. Like, Kobe Altman yeah. should be sending flowers every June to the Houston Rockets for an office for taking Jalen Greeno for Evan Mobley. Like, every single year. They should be like, thank yeah, you, Houston. Need, you need luck. It, this is luck.
0: This is you a need luck. both. But yeah, I think the difference is, I don't know if Indiana would ever... Well, one, they never did enough of selling off the pieces that they had to get assets to then be in position to make a future trade. And then number two, I, I, we've also never really seen them go big on trading the future assets because they don't want to have the downside risk of what if we're not good. And then we, we don't even get our own picks and then we're really in a bad place. So it's kind of like this conservatism on the way that they build their roster. I think both directions it kind of limits them so yeah you're probably yeah. looking at, at, at lottery luck more so than anything else just getting that that second awesome guy next to Halliburton by way of the draft and this might be their best chance for it because I think that if Halliburton can stay healthy and they keep adding pieces and getting you know their young guys better this might be the last year that they're really in in the range to even jump into that top four reasonably
1: yeah and look Benedict Mathurin is, is another kind of piece of this like what he turns into maybe has something to say about about Halliburton plays like he is having a really good year sure you know, the three point shooting will need to go up. But like that guy plays really, really hard is super competitive. Like there's not there's very little not to like about about his upside. He's averaging like 17 a game as a rookie like that is really impressive stuff, Um, even if the yep. efficiency isn't like fully there yet. So I, yeah. I and you, he's yeah. small. and he's yeah, but like he I mean, he's six six. I feel like that's you feel like that's true. that's you're calling you're calling.
0: I think that's stretching by. it. I, I've never seen that he's listed there. I'm not calling you out. But Halliburton uh, is listed at 6'5". Matherin's listed at 6'6".
1: Yeah, basketball reference has so. him at six six two ten. for what it's worth. That's goofy. Uh-huh. No.
0: <laughs> I think Halliburton is taller than Benedict Matherin. I haven't seen them in person. Uh, maybe somebody knows better than me, but... <laughs> Um, that would surprise me okay. if that was but like true. E- but either way, yeah, um, but it's th- like that, that's, that's probably their one and two long-term, and they just have to figure out what Well, else, unless, right?
1: unless they like get into the lottery, they sh- like get a really high-picking the lottery, they should get one of the Thompson twins, get Brandon Miller, Depending going what happens. With By one and
0: two, I mean... Point guard, shooting guard. Oh, sure, sure, and sure, then, sure. And then maybe they get some wings or well, John unle- I mean, or whatever. I mean,
1: that. unless unless you get Scoot, and then they like maybe changes sure. things because because yeah, Scoot because yeah. like if you get Scoot, like you figure out how to play him and Halliburton together, and you don't really look back.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's the cool thing about Halliburton. I think to circle back is like because he plays such a distributor role and can be so effective without that heavy seconds per touch and he just kind of mixes it around like he can fit with another point guard in theory or he could be the point guard and have a bunch of wings around him what like he could be really in in anything you want him to be in Uh, let's go to Nick Claxton here quickly Chris he's distant fifth in these odds or sixth maybe plus 10,000 at MGM to win this award, but um, still a very, very impressive development story this year in the league. I think he'll he'll probably lose a little bit of shine because Brooklyn is not going to be the center of the NBA world quite as much as they, they had been, and, and he doesn't get to play next to a great defender like Kevin Durant anymore, but he is just kind of the quintessential, I think, modern defensive center, aside from like the you know, Draymond types who can switch everywhere, which there really isn't another Draymond type. He is sort of the the perfect thing. He can switch if you need him to, but really he's going to kind of be that that back line of defense if the switching fails. And I think the mobility to cover ground, the length to swat shots, the uh, athleticism to switch if you need him to, like he, he sort of just is everything you would want in a big man defender, I think, right now. And offensively, people forget he was coming out of the draft. Part of what made him so interesting was his offense. He was like a point center at Georgia. He had a bunch of assists. He was taking threes. He was doing all that. And he's sort of just been a defensive specialist in the NBA. But now that they've gotten rid of those superstars, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Claxton start to grow on offense, too, because he's only 23. He's only been in the league a little while. Uh, this guy is probably not done growing at all and and that's pretty exciting too.
1: Yeah, I, you look at uh you know what he has done this year. I think he has really just kind of put himself in that class of centers that's probably going to get in like be paid like 23 and 20 million or above. Like that's a pretty like small group now and like I think he's going to fit right in there. Um Uh, the biggest leap when you look at kind of the numbers is like, he's at 48% on shots in the four to 14 foot range after being at 27% on those last year and 34% the year before 20% of his shots come there. Like basically anything he's not taking within four feet is like in that range. If this is like a real thing, then this is like a a big, big deal. He's been awesome defensively as well. Like very strong. Like he looks very lean, but he's like really, really strong and like, seems like very tough to kind of move off the spots. That I always that's I think a really big deal if you're going to be a center and get paid just because like you have if you're going to make 20 million or more like you need to be someone that like you can stay on the floor against like Embiid or Jokic or like any of these. like Not a
0: surprise that him and uh, Jared Allen were both developed by the same group of people over there in Brooklyn. I know uh, it's not exactly the same squad, but Jacques Vaughn's been there. Those guys are very similar with what you're talking about.
1: Last time the Nets were in Cleveland, he gave Jared Allen some work, too. And I was like, oh, like that that was like my eye popping moment with him in a lot of ways. Yeah. Was just like watching him that like sneaky really, strength, just giving Jared Allen some some work in the post and like at the rim. I was like, oh, OK, like this is this is great shots to Chris Longo, our, our buddy at Den of Geek, who uh, has at least to me has been on like the Nick Claxton, like hype train for like months now. And I have that like, kind of like hit the brakes on it a little bit. But like it, it feels really real. If that shot stuff is real, then like you have a winning player like in a way. I don't even care if he like, yeah and shoots I don't threes wanna, or anything,
0: yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't want to like make it sound like that's going to happen. All I'm saying is, don't be surprised when he makes a couple and you're like, I didn't know he could do that. Yeah, he can do that. I don't know if it'll be a part of his game, but yeah, he's 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 very, very skilled overall. He's third in the NBA, Chris, in block percentage, behind only Jaron Jackson and Walker Kessler. So he's above Embiid, above Miles Turner, above Brooke Lopez, above Anthony Davis in block percentage by a lot. Like this guy, this guy is a serious defensive player of the year type of guy already. And uh this is what, your, year, year three, mm-hmm. year four? I don't know. Um, and and he'll be he'll be on his way. He's only 23 years old. Let's switch over to Two guys who have their stock going in the opposite direction. Uh, I guess the the theme of today's show outside of Markkinen and Claxton is is these guards. And, and these are two more. Different points in their careers, but both young. Um, and let's start with that pun in mind to with Trey Young. Um, <laughs> this goes in a little bit with some of the news from this week, which is Quinn Snyder getting hired most likely in Atlanta. So I don't know if that... Kind of tickles your uh, your interest in him at all, but he is going to be a big story in the NBA, both with if and how they they perform in the playoffs, as well as if he can make it work with Snyder, and then what comes from a team building perspective as a result of that this summer. He has a lot riding on him, even though his season has been up and down.
1: He is, I think, one of like the stars and like the the younger stars in the league that has the most on the line in terms of like what we're gonna think of them the next 12 months. I think it's like him and Kat. I, I think it's those two guys that just have a lot of stuff. I want to see what they look like the next six to twelve months into next season just because like the, their franchises are, are at inflection points and like they are kind of in the in the set in the in the center of, of kind of those inflection points a lot of ways. Trey like I think has to be in this spot where like I we see him adjust. I the Quinn Snyder thing will be so interesting just because Early Utah Quinn Snyder was like one of the most like egalitarian like empower everybody offenses we saw. And then like as time went on with Donovan Mitchell kind of ascending, they did, they still had elements of that. And still like a lot of spacing and wing play, but like it, there's a lot more Mitchell pick and roll with Gobert and like a lot of just like kind of like more standard actions instead of like kind of empowering everyone. I think like, like early Utah Quinn Snyder is like a really great way to kind of bring the most out of what trey young could be like really great passer has gravity off ball all of this stuff and then defensively like you probably just got to keep throwing money at wings because like he's never going to be a good defender he just isn't like that's just not in the cards for him he's not interested all the time and he's also just got doesn't have the frame for it and like how you kind of build with him i think with quinn snyder if that ends up what's going to happen and and all that I, I i just want like this feels like there's like an evolution of Trey Young that needs to happen that that is where i feel like yeah. I, I am at with trey
0: I think so I think it would be helpful to be a little bit more well not more but be honest with ourselves about what a bad Trey Young season is looking like right now because I do agree that it's been a a disappointment overall I wonder how much of that honestly the more that I look at the numbers is just that he's missing shots because his free throw attempts per 36 are up. He is mostly the same in assists to turnover, like almost exactly as he was last year. He's sacrificed a little bit in terms of usage and assist ratio or assist percentage Um, this year with Murray, not, not enough. We all know it's, it hasn't been enough. And that, that in and of itself is not going to show up in the numbers, but does matter. So I don't want to, that's the other part, right? It's that and the missed shots, but you still look up, and despite all of that stuff, the missed shots, the overall team success not being quite what it has been in the past, he's still one of the best offensive players in basketball by any of the advanced numbers you look at. And the team, from a lineup and on-off standpoint, he's just as good as he's ever been with that. When he's on the court, they're still very good. A lot of the team success being worse has been that the the bench is not as good. And then defensively, like, I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel about this, Chris. I sort of am of the opinion with basketball that the difference between a below average defender and an awful defender is pretty narrow. I think that like the way that that shows up outside of the playoffs is a few possessions per game where maybe a breakdown happens. Somebody goes through you driving to the basket. Maybe you give up three or four possessions per game that go worse because you're not an impediment the way that another player might be. And that that adds up. I'm not trying to minimize that, but it's like not going to kill your team over the course of 82 games to have an awful defender versus just somebody who's bad. If you could have a great defender in that spot, you obviously would always pick that. But I just look at Trey Young, and I think to to kind of put a bow on all of that, He's incredibly fixable. This is far from a lost cause with all of that in mind.
1: I agree. It just, it feels like what comes next is going to like be very interesting as far as like how much you can win with Trey as like your best guy. That, that is just ultimately where I'm at. It's like, I just need to see something like, and look, it has just been like a rough couple of years for Atlanta since they made the conference finals. And like, they just had, like, maybe that's the victim of like having success in that way. And then like the pressure is up and the scrutiny's up and sure the Trey Young like kind of coach killer stuff is also just like very awkward because it's like two times in a row now there's been just some kind of we just like just something feels like I just want more out of that is where is where I end up with that
0: I'm excited to see Quinn Snyder because I think that pivot from and I don't know enough about Quinn Snyder behind the scenes I think he had a seemingly a good relationship with everybody in Utah it seemed like it had just sort of run its course by the end and the team ended up blowing up and changing everything. So I don't even think he was like out of bounds or really shocking that he would step off of that train himself. But just having an offensive innovator, a, a person whose adjustment and, and the way that he sort of speaks to Trey is going to be on the court versus guys who, I think the goal was that they would sort of be enforcers Right. Mm-hmm. With maybe less so Pierce because he was pretty young, but definitely McMillan. It was like he's going to hold Trey accountable. He's an old fashioned guy, this and that. I don't that clearly didn't work. So I think having somebody who's like going to let the system and infrastructure on the court speak for itself as a way to like show Trey rather than telling him. That's probably oversimplifying it. But I'm excited to just see that change. And like we said, the when, when the Quinn Snyder stuff and, and McMillan got fired, when all that came out. At the end of the day, it's just a lot of pressure on Trey to to adjust, to to be okay with that and and make the adjustments, because it can be there. um I, I think there is a good version of a team with Trey Young. We've seen it before. we can see it again. It just has to to click in and and that all really falls on his mentality and his his kind of personality. But let's go to my stock faller, whatever we want to call them today, um, to round out our show, which is lamello Ball. This one was interesting to dive into, Chris. I've seen the Hornets here and there. I think they I I saw them in person against Phoenix when he was about to come back. So he didn't play. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, I've watched him a bit here and there since he did come back because I really like LaMelo Ball. I was the guy advocating for him to go first in that COVID draft. Now, obviously, Anthony Edwards has been awesome. I, I would take that back. At this point, but think just the, I'm the, a big the war- fan of the, how he plays. The Warriors,
1: what if is just like all-time like draft? World. Well, yeah, with either of those guys, right? Uh,
0: anybody but Wiseman, I think you Franz, even right, but um the the interesting thing to me is how much I, really when I dove in, how much they missed the, the wing defense that they had last year which was miles bridges and Cody Martin, two guys who have been out for different reasons. Obviously bridges dealing with the legal situation. Uh, it seems like they're going to bring him back relatively soon, which is a little bit of a bummer, but Cody Martin's been hurt. Those two guys being gone, they just, they basically didn't replace them and they have, you know, injured old Gordon Hayward and some of these guys kind of uh, young players, Jalen McDaniels, who they now traded rolling out, trying to guard on the perimeter. And, I just feel like I can't come down on anything outside of the roster is just holding him back to a really high degree. And we're basically going to enter his ex- his extension talks this summer, knowing very little about what the best version of a team around LaMelo ball looks like, or what his sort of best things to add to his game will be as a result of that. And I don't really feel bad for Charlotte with that. Cause it's their fault but I do kind of feel bad for him, and I feel bad for a team that might want to go out and acquire him who would have very little info to go off of outside if he's been very productive at times and very out of control at the same time.
1: Look, this is one of the worst two situations in the league. It is Houston and, and Charlotte, I think, are the kind of the two most dire, like, in need of in need of some restructuring kind of stuff in the league right now. I think that is yeah. very clear. Like, some of that is obviously just things that have kind of plummeted in in charlotte but like they, they deserve a lot of culpability in that and lonzo just like i made the you read about some of the stuff game to game you look at some of the numbers it doesn't feel like there's a consistency game to game maybe that is just the environment maybe that is just like they, they everyone on that team i'm sure knows there's nothing really to play for this year but yeah he's yeah. a he's extension eligible they haven't really like ascended in that way um they've somehow won four in a row which is like why are you guys winning four in a row at this point of the season what what are you doing here Charlotte Hornets like go like try to get wemby like yeah they they're probably going to be in
0: that top 4 but, but you like, just, just want to maximize yeah, it
1: yeah stop like stop winning games don't like let don't don't like fall the fifth and then get yourself in in some real trouble with that but like the I,
0: the part that <laughs> The part that's the biggest bummer, and I like Mark Williams, and I'm glad that they traded Mason Plumlee so that he can actually play. He was one of those guys that would just absolutely pop anytime he made his way onto the court. And, you know, old-fashioned Steve Clifford wasn't giving him a pathway there, and so I'm glad that there is one now. The front office was like, all right, Steve, no more Mason. You're done. We're getting rid of him. You have to play the young guy. I think that's good. I I have optimism about him, but the bummer about this team really is they're just bad at drafting. Like, they've had so many shots. I understand they've never really tanked or gotten like the number one pick or anything like that, but they've had a ton of lottery opportunities. And it's just, it's James Booknight, it's Kai Jones, it's, and yeah, PJ Washington, I like, but he's probably not hit at the top level of what you might have thought. And you just look around and it's like, what even is there? I, I understand, like, people have pointed, like, no, oh, maybe LaMelo's the first guy to not take the. The long-term extension i have no way of knowing any of that but i guess if other people do and there's some sort of inside whispers going around about that it wouldn't shock me not that he's done everything you know you would have ever hoped from him to to show how great he is and how much of a galvanizing force he's going to be for for a a, a bad team but come on like why would you stay that there's nothing that they've done that would make you feel like this is the place to be long term
1: no, look, I, I think if there's a difference between him and like, let's say like a Halliburton, it's like there's a cohesion to some degree and like better players in Indiana. And that at least gives you something to figure stuff out. Lamelo is like in the wilderness, like Gordon Hayward yep. is barely playing like they have really good players. The whole Miles Bridges situation is like obviously like what he like all that stuff is very despicable. And like I have no interest in seeing him like play again but like that was a really that was a guy that had a lot of ba- encore chemistry with with lamello and like he's not there anymore like he is just sort of yeah. in the wilderness in a way that none of his like counterparts as young star guards have been like like do you remember like when there was like a jaw like lamello like kind of like who would you rather have kind of thing this is zach lowe was talking about this on on his pod this week and he's like i would take Lamelo because of the sides but like their situations are maybe the perfect contrast it's like Memphis has provided a job with all of this infrastructure and really good players and Jerry Jackson jr. And Desmond Bain and like all this stuff. And Charlotte is just like not done that for a variety of yeah. reasons. And like that, that puts and a I, guy like the mellow behind in a, in a very tough spot.
0: And I hope that this season doesn't run in, uh, develop like bad habits or just sort of take him back a rung in his development because He's taking almost 53% of his shots are threes this season, which is just, that's not going to be the the mix for him long-term. It was 45% last year and it was 39% when he was a rookie. So like it's going in the wrong direction. I think not that he's not a good three-point shooter because he is, he's making 37% of those shots. That's not a leap, but for how difficult a lot of them are, it's fine. But come on, like that's not going to be how you play basketball at your best and his free throw rate's going the other direction. Then, you know, I look at Steve Clifford getting hired, which was weird in and of itself. They kind of yeah. got left behind by Kenny Atkinson, which which was uh, the beginning of a of a nightmare season, but I think they could have done better than Steve Clifford as their fallback option and if there's anything Clifford's supposed to do, it's kind of supposed to be to instill discipline and in defense. He hasn't done that, not that the roster gives him many options to do that, but I just sort of look at all of those problematic trends and I'm like, I just want this to not end up being something where LaMelo gets stuck, doesn't develop, doesn't grow the way you want him to because he had to go through this awful season, not to mention the injuries that have, that have limited him
1: as well. So do you think he gets a max this summer? He probably, I think like they, they, like he, they have no reason not to offer to him. I, but can I give you the, the, let's end on this. Here's my fun, here's my team. I, we've talked about them already. So there's, there's your hint. I'm going to see if you can guess it. What team should just like offer all their stuff for LaMelo? to put with their with their core.
0: Of the teams we've talked about,
1: the Nets, the Utah Jazz baby, let's go. That was going to be number 2. I like LaMelo, that. Too. LaMelo, LaMelo, and Kessler. Markkanen and Kessler is like a pretty great frontcourt duo for for what LaMelo is and what he isn't.
0: I just can't imagine Lamelo. It is. You're right. It is. But I can't imagine Lamelo in in Salt Lake City. I was trying to get him to Brooklyn, where I think he just would would be a much better cultural fit. We'll say with the city that he lives in.
1: Look, just like give me the weird vibes. I love weird, awkward things, Brendan. So like, let's let's give me a Lamelo ball internet sensation. Like. Not like Charlotte. No offense <laughs> Charlotte's probably a great city. It's not like Charlotte is like the bustling metropolis that like maybe LaMello would no, be most happy no. in.
0: What's funny is there were all those stories about how he didn't want to go to Golden State or he didn't want to go to some of the cities and he wasn't as uh into his his interviews. I don't obviously I'm not an insider. No, not, no, I'm not gonna say I've heard that, but that was out there. It, what's weird is that if that's true, I, what I always wondered, what never added up to me about that is why would Charlotte be the place that he would zero in on? <laughs> yeah. Not to know. say that being around MJ and Charlotte's like a fine place, but he's an L.A. guy and he, he knew what the Hornets were. They don't spend any money and they haven't been very good. So uh, not to say you asked for this, LaMelo, but it's been a very strange thing to watch with his career from the very start, I guess is so what the, I'll say. But yes,
1: let's make it weirder and put him in Utah. Sorry to Charlotte Hornets fans, but like <laughs> you can re you can yeah. rebuild with a ton of picks. Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what his value would be, but it' very high because he is so young still. Um, all right. That'll wrap us up for today. Those were the breakout players of this NBA season. We'll be back Tuesday, drafting championship contenders. Well, Wednesday when you hear it, and that'll be the opposite end of the league. (laughs) Talk about some good teams. So hit followers, subscribe wherever you're finding the show. We're on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Also check us out on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you are. We are, and we will talk to you all next time.